0: You are listening to Change Agents, conversations with human rights and social justice advocates on WERU. I'm Steve Westler, the host of Change Agents. My guests today are Jane Field and Mike Seavey. Jane is the minister of a Southern Maine congregation and the executive director of the Maine Council of Churches. Mike Seavey spent 35 years as a Catholic priest in Maine. He has recently Left the priesthood and is working on social justice issues at a nonprofit organization. He also has joined recently the board of the Maine Council of Churches. I have known both of my guests for a number of years. So, uh, Jane, when did you know that you wanted to be a minister? <laughs>
1: um, May, Mike might have a different story, but mine is that I went into it kicking and screaming. It was a process, not a moment. Uh, I'd never make a Baptist, because Baptists need a call moment. I never had one. It was um, slow and steady. Um, Started out in a graduate program for public policy through a series of coincidences, or maybe not. Ended up in a class across the street at a seminary and realized they were asking the questions I was asking that weren't getting answered over at the graduate program. And, so, and
0: and what kind of what was the difference between your work at Princeton and at this seminary?
1: So, um, the Woodrow Wilson School—it's now called the Princeton School for Public Policy. Um, it, it really was an econometric way of analyzing policy. So, if you couldn't turn it into a math equation, there weren't very many people there that wanted to talk about it. And over at the seminary, which is not affiliated with the university, they were asking the moral, ethical implications. They were talking about the human side. In this case, the public policy issue was domestic violence. Um, and it just resonated with me in a way that the other model, not that there's anything wrong with analyzing policy. Uh, we need people that can do that. I just wasn't gifted at it. So, And if
0: at some point, that led you to the Union Theological Seminary.
1: That's right. Yep, a dean of the chapel at Princeton University suggested I go there because, quote, nobody ever gets ordained who goes there. And I kept saying, I don't want to be ordained. And it was after my first summer of interning with Scott Planting, who's a minister here in Maine, at Mission at the Eastward. And I watched his ministry of social justice combined with local parish ministry that I thought, I think that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And so I began the process to be ordained.
0: And uh, I'm going to ask Mike, you're the same question, but I think both of you are going to realize that you um, started in graduate school uh, doing pretty much the same thing. But, uh, uh, Mike, when did you first think that you wanted to be a Catholic priest?
2: Um, it's amazing because a, a lot of the, the really some parallels that Jane and I have, it, with some exceptions. Um, I, I remember as a very very young boy, uh, telling my friends I was going to be a priest when I grew up. Uh, I was very, very faithful in, in, in the Catholic Church at that time. But when, the, when I got into junior high school, I, I left the church. I mean, I just wasn't practicing uh, with, for about 10 years uh, through, um, through, through college. Um, and then when I graduated from college, I had a very deep spiritual awakening in my life, And I went out to a graduate school of public policy uh, at the University of Minnesota at the Hubert Humphrey Institute and became very active out there in the uh, Catholic uh, chaplaincy program called the Newman Center. And it was there that the call became uh, renewed uh, to priesthood and I fought it tooth and nail. Um, I wanted to uh, get my degree in public policy. I wanted to go back to Maine. I wanted to uh, fall in love, raise a family, uh, and be a husband and dad like, like my dad, who was just so, so uh, involved in the family and, and such, such a good, good dad. I just wanted to do that. Um, and it wasn't the, the priesthood so much as it was uh, celibacy that was the, um, the huge, um, uh, huge barrier for me that I just had a very hard time uh, overcoming. But as I told people, I was convinced that God had dialed the wrong number. Uh, but when the phone kept ringing and ringing, I figured somebody's got to answer this thing. And so I did. And, and then uh, from there, went, went into uh, a small seminary outside of Boston called Pope, Pope John Twenty Third, now called St. John Twenty Third, because Pope John was, was canonized in the past several years.
0: So, um... Your your stories are more similar than, uh, than perhaps yeah. either either of you uh, either of you thought. Um, uh, so, um, for uh, for each of you, um, what was the first time that you knew that? Human rights or social justice was important to you, and Mike, I'll start. I'll start with you.
2: You know, it goes back to when I was again when I was a very small boy. Um, I was born in '54, so I grew up during the civil rights uh, marches in the early 1960s, and uh, of course, that was all on television, sometimes live, uh, watching these people come out of the churches. A um, uh, marching and uh, uh, being, uh, you know, the, the the fire hoses and the police dogs and the beatings that they mm. took, uh, and yet never responding violently, but going mm. yes. those that weren't in jail or hospitals went went back to the churches uh, and and thank God and sang and I just I was just overwhelmed by that. Was was overwhelmed there a, by the brutality? What was there a particular?
0: a moment of brutality that you saw on the evening news that
2: yeah you know i cuz the, the the fire hoses i remember people flying in the air from the fire hoses i remember there was one scene of i think it was one or two police officers and they had an elderly woman and they had her arms wrenched behind her back and they threw her face down on a uh, on a on a police cruiser on the on the hood of a police cruiser uh, to arrest her, and i just uh, that just was so innerly repulsive uh, to me that um, I just realized that uh, i didn 't know what was wrong or wh- wh- why these things were happening, but I knew that that it had to change that it just um, that it just was something that just could not continue
0: Guy um, Jane, I want to ask you the same question in a second, but it 's uh, uh <laughs> My decision to focus on human rights uh, came from a few years older, but, uh, but still a young boy, um, from, that, uh, from watching Walter Cronkite on uh, the evening news and seeing uh, the violence uh, roll out. Um, Jane, where, where did uh, this start for you?
1: I was born in 63. so And I was born in a white household, a white suburb. Um, My parents had very different views than I have now about racial justice. So I was not exposed to the kinds of things that both you and Mike are describing. It wasn't until my probably junior high school age When the church I went to, which again was white, suburban, Presbyterian, vanilla, color inside the lines kind of place, um, that uh, the Vietnamese boat people movement became an immigration issue here in the U.S., and our church chose to sponsor a family, and our youth group was very involved because of the associate pastor, and we got a house ready for them, we helped the kids at school, and it was the very first time that I thought, oh these people who show up in church on Sunday, actually some of them put what they say out loud on Sunday into action the rest of the week to help other people, and that had an authenticity to it. That really spoke to my heart.
0: And uh, when you were in uh, college or in in graduate school, was social justice uh, part of why... You were there and doing that kind
1: of work? I think it's no coincidence that Mike and I have the same story that we do um, because that impulse to service and to serve the community and to serve your neighbor um, could lead you, you know, to a public policy program as much as it could lead you to seminary. I think that there's a lot of crossover. Um, College, I went to a very liberal, liberal arts college in uh, Kalamazoo College. And a huge focus on racial justice and social justice of all kinds. So I was surrounded um, by that. And then Princeton is not a hotbed of social justice advocacy, to say the least. Um, But Union was. And it felt like breathing pure oxygen to leave Princeton University and walk through the doors of Union Theological Seminary where every lens, no matter what, whether it was scripture classes or ethics classes or systematic theology. <clears throat> I watched Henry Louis Gates' show, The Black Church, the other night, and I was so proud to see my systematic theology professors, um, James Cone and Cornel West. And that that's who raised me. That's who raised me. Well, uh,
0: you, you couldn't have uh, better parents than that, yeah. uh, You are listening to Change Agents, Conversations with Human Rights and Social Justice Advocates on WERU. I'm Steve Wessler, the host of Change Agents. My guests today are Jane Field and Mike Seavey. Jane is the minister at a Southern Maine congregation and the executive director of the Maine Council of Churches. Mike Seavey spent 35 years as a Catholic priest in Maine. He has recently left the priesthood and is working on social justice issues for a nonprofit. He also was a board member uh, of the Maine council of churches. So Jane, just take it a, a little further. You, uh, your your first um, uh, time you were leading a congregation was for a long time. Yeah. Right about that?
1: Yes. Um, so after seminary, well, I, I interned with Scotty up here in Maine at uh, Farmington. There was a, co- a Consortium of nine small churches, rural churches that banded together to do social justice ministry. And um, then after that, I worked at a big city church, New York City, um, first Presbyterian in New York City on Fifth Avenue for two years till I finished seminary. But my first call was to a white suburban church (laughs) um, outside of New York and Connecticut. And I was there for nine years the first time. Then I took a year off to adopt my daughter and raise, raise her full-time for a year, and then worked in domestic violence for four years, and then came back to the same church and was there another 11 years. I was doing work with high school, uh, middle school, high school, and college-age students on um, general spiritual formation with a special focus on social justice.
0: And, and we'll come back to coming to Maine, which I think is the, the next piece, piece in that. But, um, but Mike, you're... Um, uh, you, you have been placed into uh, quite a number of of churches, uh, right? All right. in Maine. All in Maine,
1: right?
2: That's correct. Yes. Uh,
0: and uh, um, is there? I, I know you've talked to me about uh, several of them, but at least before we get to Lewiston, our, uh, was there a place that that sort of particularly dear to, to your
2: heart? Oh, there were several, uh, you know, I have to say om- almost all the assignments I was in were, uh, you know, the, uh, when you get to know the people there, it, it's just, it's just an amazing experience and what they live and what they go through. Uh, and the, I, always, I always say the crosses they carry and then, but every Sunday we open the door and in they come and I find that a miracle. Uh, I, I think for me, one that stands out, though, is I spent three years up in Aroostook County, and it just was a whole cultural um, a culture shock for me. I was in a rural area for the first time, a, a predominantly farming community for the first time, uh, a, a French community, um, and Acadian French, not, not Quebec French. Um, uh, I was in a community that was all Catholic, uh, there were very few if very few non Catholics in in the community. I, I said every morning I had ecumenical meetings because I had breakfast by myself, and there was you know I was the only minister in town um, so you know it was but they were people that were amazingly resourceful. I mean nothing went to waste. Uh, they lived very poorly, uh, and their greatest treasure was the way they built their houses. So they had a view of the countryside, which was spectacular. That was and, their treasure.
0: Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a, really, a really nice image. And, uh, and I think one of the things that I've valued most about going to Aroostook County, and I missed it from the years that I grew up in the Midwest, was that um, you, you, you could see a long way. Uh, yeah. And the rest of maine you can't but in in uh, uh, it's but because i mean there there are, there are mountains obviously there but it's just that's that sense of space yeah right, um, right. so uh, Jane uh, you uh, you would come to 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 maine uh, and uh, worked as you were uh, becoming a minister. Uh, what brought you to Maine? Was this a, uh, an uncharted place for you?
1: Not at all. Um, this is home. And I refer to my 25 years in Connecticut as living in exile. Um, my, ancestor, my first ancestor to come to Maine came in 1650. Um, so we've been here a really long time. He came against his will. He was a prisoner and slave labor in a, a lumber mill, a timber mill, um, sawmill, there's the word, in uh, what we would call probably Elliot, maybe Kittery, somewhere in that area, James Warren. Um, he'd been on a death march and ended up on a ship coming here. So we've been here a really long time, and I couldn't wait to get back. But uh, early on in parenthood, uh, my daughter's father and I divorced and I needed to keep her close to him. And he lived in New York City, so I couldn't come up here until she graduated. And literally, people joked that during her graduation ceremony, you could hear the beep, beep, beep of the moving truck backing up to my house because I was ready to come home. Um, And I came here without a job. So...
0: um, uh and then you uh, shortly had two jobs. Then I had two jobs. That's right. Okay. So tell us, tell us about your two jobs.
1: So the main council of churches is my dream job. If you had asked me back at Union to design a job for my skills and my passion, it would be this job because it combines... Go ahead.
0: If, if, and if you finish that sentence, and then I'd like you to, to explain what the main council of churches is to people who right. don't know it.
1: Yeah, that would be helpful. <laughs> um, so, it combines for me as the executive director. It combines my skill set and training in public policy with my skill set and training in theology and church. Um, the main Council of Churches is a coalition of seven member denominations, the mainline Protestant denominations, plus the Quakers and the Unitarians. And we, through programming, through worship prayer, and through public policy advocacy, uh, seek to inspire and equip both congregations and individuals across the state to help build a culture of justice, compassion, and peace. So it's it's very focused and has been since long before I came along on working for social justice from a faith-based perspective.
0: Um, and then the, the church that you work.
1: Yep, are um, still in. I'm still serving. That's right. Um, the Council of Churches was a half time position. They had downsized and could not offer full time employment or health insurance. So I needed to find a way to to have health insurance and a full time income. And lucky for me, um, a little Lutheran congregation. I'm Presbyterian, but a little Lutheran congregation called me to be their pastor in the fall, in late summer of 2016. So within a year of starting at Maine Council of Churches, I then took on both roles.
0: Okay. Hey. And um, and uh, Mike, um, uh, you were, um, I'm not sure what it followed, but you um, uh, were a, a priest in, in Lewiston um, at a time where there was a fair amount of conflict, and maybe you could talk about how, uh, at least as a priest, uh, um, civil rights and human rights came to you.
2: Sure. Um, in uh, um, in I, I arrived in Lewiston in 2003 and served until 2009. So it would have been just after the uh, the incidents of the the mayor that wrote the letter, um, and then the, the, the white supremacists that came in to, to do the, the rally and, the, and the, the marches and all of that, I came in shortly after that. But there was still a, a great deal of tension uh, in, in the community. Um, uh, none of the Somalis were part of my congregation because they were all uh, Muslim. Uh, there, there were no Catholics in, in this, uh, in, in this uh, African community. Um, but there were certainly opportunities, uh, you know, th- there were times when I would preach about it uh, from, from the pulpit, you know, like, like, for example, there was this this everlasting myth that when a Somali family came to Lewiston, they were given an SUV by the city, uh, and that um, uh, that it wasn't that awful, That it, well, because they weren't given an SUV, no, nobody was given an
0: SUV. And uh, it, it's been interesting to see that um, stereotype uh in Westbrook in um in bitterford and uh, even important um, uh, a lot a lot of free cars that uh, were imaginary
2: um it's so it's uh, amazing how a lie can can continue to have a great deal of strength and 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 authority
0: uh but it at some point you um uh, became involved in uh a very serious incident.
2: I did. Uh, yeah, yeah. There was, uh, uh, I came to find out a very, very poor soul in Lewiston that was um, uh, uh, heavily traumatized as a youth. And uh, when uh, a Muslim community was gathered for their weekly worship, uh, he had a pig's skull that he rolled into their midst, which, of course, is a very unclean animal. But even if it wasn't, it's, it's, it's a horrible violation of their worship. Uh, and um, Rabbi Hillel Katzier was the uh, a rabbi at the at the synagogue in Auburn, and he and I were good friends. And he called me up and he said, Mike, did you hear about that? I said, yeah, I did. That's awful, Hillel. He said, you're right. We're going to do something about it, aren't we? And I said, yes, we are. You know, I am so glad. And he uh, got me motivated. And when there was a uh, uh, a large rally that 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 was organized at at Lincoln Park uh, in uh, in Lewiston uh, to 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 support the Somali community, support the Muslim community, because if they were Somali or not. Um, and there were, I mean, I think there were state officials that came, and uh, uh, there was a lot of press and just opportunities for for showing community support uh, for that community.
0: And uh, I think that was perhaps the first time we. I mean, we may have met before, but that in a really significant way, because without knowing what you and uh, Hillel were doing, I had organized a group of uh, both uh, white American students and um, and, um, Muslim students from Somalia. uh, And we were going to hold the press conference and uh, and then when I'm not sure whether it was you or Hillel told me what they were doing, I said, can we join? And uh, uh, that was uh, it was quite a remarkable
2: well, moment. I always said, there really should have been a national headline that said, you know, Rabbi uh, organizers rally to support Muslim community. Because um, that, that was exactly what happened. And um, I, I thought it was a, it was a great moment. I was very proud to to be a part of it.
0: And then um, one other thing, uh, and I uh, we aren't going to have enough time to go into it in detail, but your your advocacy has also included uh, working with labor unions.
2: That's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the The other issue I I got involved in in Lewiston, and again, I was kind of pulled kicking was um there there was a gay rights piece of legislation. Uh, in the legislature, uh, and there was a movement to repeal it, uh, a citizen uh, repeal, and uh, I I ended up uh, working against that, uh, which was a uh, a very, very uh, contentious issue in in Lewiston, Um, but uh, I got the full support of, most of the support of my parish community was very supportive, and it was the first time that Lewiston ended up supporting uh, gay rights legislation. So that, that, that was another, another piece, another uh, uh, part of advocacy that's involved. But labor unions is something that I've been in really, it's been in my heart since I was a young boy. My dad was a union leader and he was a president of his local and um, it just was kind of the air that we breathed in the, in, in the house, at least me, it was the air that I breathed in the household um, and still have very, very great memories of that.
0: Thank you. Um, Jane, uh, has has your uh, your work as a social justice advocate um, for the main council of churches and just who you are um, ever led to conflict with members of your congregation?
1: Um, I try to have a pretty sturdy firewall between the two so that my ability to be a pastor to someone in the congregation, no matter where they might stand on a justice issue, isn't impaired. Um, But they know what I do, and my preaching reflects my values and my interpretation of the gospel. So there are times when I'm certain not everybody in the, we don't have pews, we have chairs. So not everybody in the chairs um, would see things the same way I do. But I would hope they'd understand um, that when I'm in that role, I'm their pastor. I'm not the executive director of the main council of churches. and And when I'm at the main council of churches, I will take stands like the ones not as nearly as courageous as the ones Mike has just described, but still, you know, stepping out on a limb that I wouldn't do. Um, and I don't drag them with me. I don't use my status as a local pastor or the name of that church when I'm functioning in Augusta or elsewhere in my role at Maine Council.
0: And was there a, um, a time when uh, you gave a, a sermon and there was a sort of particularly significant adverse reaction from at least a portion of your congregation.
1: Yeah, there was. Um, it, it took me by surprise, um, but I was preaching a series, a sermon series on the creeds or confessions as we call them and got to the one called the Barman Declaration, which was made in the 1930s by Christians in Germany against the Nazis. <clears throat> and, um, and I was just talking about that And at least one person in the congregation heard me, heard what I was saying as implying that Donald Trump was like Hitler. Um, And I didn't mean to draw that conclusion in my sermon, no matter what I might think personally, uh, but it meant that the next Sunday, I came out from behind the pulpit, I pulled up a chair and sat down and said, the good Lord gave me two ears and one mouth and I need to act accordingly. So I want to listen to you. And we had, uh, it's a small, small congregation. So we were able to have what I'd call a family meeting. And, and,
0: and, and uh, did, did that lead to a, a reduction in the anger on at least some yep. people?
1: Yep. Oh yeah. Yep. We moved through it and passed it. And, um, The only time so far, knock on wood, that somebody has left over something I've said was not around social justice issues. It was when I was called there and this individual asked if I read the Bible literally, and I said, absolutely not. And he left because he needed a pastor who did.
0: Mike, uh, in your... uh, your preaching or the, the homily that you were um, giving uh, ever had uh, an adverse reaction from your um, from your congregation?
2: Oh yeah, um, I think, uh, yeah, uh, many, many times. Uh, let, let me give you one that would be a kind of a parallel to Jane. Um, in the Catholic Church, we have a feast in August called the Feast of the Transfiguration, when the Lord went up on the mountain and kind of revealed his his divine um, identity. And when it lands on a Sunday, uh, we, we preach on that. Uh, and this particular Sunday, in fact, I was in Biddeford uh, from, must have been 1995, uh, no, no, uh, yeah, 95 or 96. It was the 50th anniversary of the bombing of Hiroshima. Mm. And I gave, uh, I preached on it, And I compared the transfiguration of a burst of light that revealed the glory of God and Hiroshima, a burst of light that revealed the depths of hell. And um, uh, people walked out. Um, And when I got to the back of the church, there was a man there trembling with anger. And he had survived Pearl Harbor. And uh, I had uh, no concept of the trauma that man had, um, had survived. Uh, and so what I did from then on, every other time when Transfiguration landed on a Sunday, rather than preach on it, I put a column in the parish bulletin. So then people could read it if they wanted to, but they weren't, um, it wasn't a captive audience of that and that that was a way I thought a pastoral way of dealing with that um but there were other homilies that I'd given on other topics yeah I, I think uh, there's that, there's
0: also. I think there's one that you um described uh, that involved uh children who
2: would come across the border and oh were- yeah on the way to california yeah, yeah that was right yeah that was uh, during uh the end of well maybe in the middle of, of one of the obama uh administrations uh there was this massive number of children that came to the border uh in southern california there were two busloads of mostly children some some women some mothers that were going for a they were under the they were under the the care of, of the federal government and they were going to a federal processing place and i think in a place called murrieta california and there was an angry mob that met them they blocked the street they wouldn't let the buses in they were shouting all kinds of horrible things at these children and the buses had to turn around i mean i thought it was and i just i mean i'd written a whole homily and i just threw it out and just preached on that uh and i said you know the immigration debate that we have is long and it's complex and there's all kinds of appropriate viewpoints on every side. But there is no right or wrong about what happened. That's wrong. And, and, you, and it needs could, to be condemned, Tom. Huh?
0: And did you get a response from your
2: Yeah, yeah. People walked out, people were waiting for me at the end of the at the end and saying that they, they the children were illegal, they were criminals, they shouldn't have been. I mean it was just it was just all part of the um uh I don't know but it just I don't know where where that where that formation came from but it had not, and I I didn't back down this time I mean this to me was different from the uh from the uh Hiroshima bombing this was different and yeah. I I did not back down and I did not apologize
0: uh, well n- knowing both of you um, uh, you you think about the positions you take carefully and um And for the most part, don't back down, um, because because you care deeply about moving forward on a social justice, human rights agenda. Um, So I want to move to talk about work as a um, doing human rights advocacy, whether it's on uh, one of the at least it seemed for me, a period of time as if there was a referendum almost every year uh, uh, having to do with uh, the rights of LGBTQ people. Um, uh, And luckily we are, not luckily, from tremendous hard work and effort, uh, uh, we are not completely past those issues, but far, far more than, than uh, when I first started uh, and I think that for me the hardest part of being doing human rights work is when you lose um, you you spend a tremendous amount of time and uh, and whether it's in an election whether it's a decision of a of a uh, elective official, um, but you simply lose. And how do you deal with that? Jane, uh, uh, an example, my guess is there's more than one.
1: <laughs> there are plenty. Um, and and speaking of LGBTQ dignity and rights, um, just the other year with the ban on conversion therapy, I, I had actually repressed the memory that we lost the first time.
0: So can, um, can, we, can we back up and explain what conversion therapy is and what the legislation was and why?
1: Sure, so conversion therapy is a practice that's been discredited by every major medical, psychiatric, psychological association worldwide. Um, it's meant to change a person's gender identification and sexual identity um, to heterosexual. So the bill was to ban that practice on minors under the age of 18 here in Maine. Um, and why and was that important? It, well, for us at the council, it was important because we believe it's torture. And um, it, it needed to be banned. Um, we shouldn't be doing that to young people. Um, we shouldn't be doing it to anybody, but certainly not to someone whose parents can force them into it which is the issue with minors um, so we presented this as a case study a couple of weeks ago at an event and it when I went back and did the research I had completely forgotten we lost the first time and how crushing that was but the in our legislature you know every two years it comes again and you get another chance and we did and it passed
0: so so let me just back up for a second either um, with this loss or a, another loss that you've had um, uh, is how do you, how do you rebound from that? Um,
1: Um, Sometimes it's easier and sometimes it's harder for me. And I think for those of us, Mike's included uh, on the board and in our congregations that we serve, it's community Um, being in the midst of other people who will lament with you and who will remind you of the hope that is within us even when we might lose sight of it in the in the midst of despair. Um, to try to do this alone would be unthinkable to me and as a person of faith, to do it without a connection to community as well as, and through that community, a connection to the divine, I, I wouldn't be able to do it. I I and, need that, that connection.
0: And it seems like it's really at least two communities. It's the, the community in your church, but it's the, it's the much broader community in, from the main council of churches.
1: That's right. And as a good Presbyterian, um, we believe in the connectional church. So um, whether I'm in a board meeting with the board at the council or whether I'm leading worship in a local congregation, we believe we're all one body. So there are connections um, across those. As much as I said, there's a firewall, Um, We are all part of a body that um, shares basic values and commitments and faith.
0: Uh, You are listening to Change Agents, conversations with human rights and social justice advocates on WERU. I'm Steve Wessler, the host of Change Agents. My guests today are Jane Field and Mike Seavey. Jane is the minister at a Southern Maine congregation and the executive director of the Maine Council of Churches. Mike Seavey spent 35 years as a Catholic priest in Maine. He has recently left the priesthood and is working on social justice issues for a nonprofit. He also was a board member of the Maine Council of Churches. Mike, uh, was there a, a particular issue you were focusing on, perhaps as on labor unions, perhaps in the main legislature that just struck you uh, as particularly difficult to get
2: over? Um, I, I would say there are um, <clears throat> two two or three issues. I mean, there's a lot that come to mind. <clears throat> I think, and I'll just be honest with you, when the Trump administration's Uh, reversal of so many immigration policies and leaving so many people uh in in uh in horrible conditions uh was just was just very disturbing for me some years ago uh, i was asked by a national union to come down to washington and speak to a labor rally outside the supreme court building while the uh, uh janus decision was being argued the janus decision saying that um um, oh boy, I'm going awful? I've got a I've got a blank on this. It was um, that's okay. Uh, labor unions, um, but anyways, uh, uh, the the labor unions lost that that decision before the Supreme Court, and that was that was very very devastating decision for labor. Um, I think when the Supreme Court also gutted the Voting Rights Act uh, several years ago, that that was very disturbing for me. Just to follow up on, on on the issue that Jane brought up of the um, the conversion therapy, wasn't involved in that at all. But it wasn't until I got on the main council board that I discovered that my bishop, uh, the Catholic bishop, had opposed the ban on conversion therapy. So and let I, me I, I let me not just aware of that.
0: let me just ask a question. I mean, sure, I, I would assume that when. The bishop takes a major decision like that, that it's usually uh, uh, passed on to
2: priests. Was, was this unusual? That I, I, I don't know that. Um, I, you know, it's hard for you to know because I don't know from year to year how many, how many issues the bishop speaks out on in the legislature. Uh, so it'd be hard for me to say that. I, I will say that I did was not aware of this, and other people I checked with, they were not aware of it, and I was I was very disturbed that that we as a church would um, would get behind. And I guess the the issue he said was was it one of, of religious freedom, uh, and I'm a big fan of religious freedom, but I don't think this this qualifies. We're talking about minors, and um, what I would consider the the QAnon of psychology, um, and. Um, uh, just a you know a, a complete quack type of type of therapy that inflicts all kinds of harm. Uh, I was very disturbed to find out that we had opposed that ban because I I think opposing the ban um, is um, it's a pretty easy decision to reach. Thank you. So, um, supporting the ban, I should say, was was an easy decision to reach. Right.
0: To Jane, what what's the What's the hardest part of being a uh, social justice, human rights advocate?
1: Um, For me personally, it's there aren't enough hours in the day. I've sometimes described it as playing a big game of whack-a-mole, you know, where you hit one and another one pops up. There's always so much work to be done and never enough time to do it, especially with a small organization like ours and I'm only 20 hours a week and our whole budget is like $65,000. So we have to pick and choose. And that's really hard because there's so much work that needs to be done. So many bills that need to be supported and we can't do as much as we'd like. Um, So we've had to become intentional and careful about where we use our limited um, capacity. And, and can, I wish it were unlimited.
0: Uh, can, can you think of a, of a time when uh, s- something happened, whether it was on the national scale or in, in Maine, and it, it just felt like the world had become really dark at some point on social justice issues?
1: Um, I'd agree with Mike that the last four years, <laughs> the lights were out mostly, maybe a few candles here and there, but it, it was a pretty tough time. Um, and the LePage administration was extremely difficult to be a voice for justice when that was our administration. Um,
0: and, and what made it what made it difficult, uh, the, let's say, in in, in the LePage administration
1: in Maine. So that the voice of power and authority was condoning racism, anti-immigration sentiments. Um, Everywhere you turned, you were pushing against someone with a very powerful voice and an ability to veto legislation, even if you could get it past the house and the Senate. So it was, you know, defeat after defeat, after defeat. Um, Yeah.
0: and how, uh, what do you do to, to, to keep going? That, I mean, I, I've been in those situations and I'm sure Mike has too. Well, what, what, what do you look for? Where do you go? Um, is, is your religion part of what um, allows it you absolutely. to continue?
1: It is. Um, as someone coming out of the Reformation, um, scripture is everything. And so looking at the biblical narrative arc Um, And the generations and generations that the stories tell of people wandering in the wilderness, seeking the promised land, whatever that might be, Um, and yet also stories of being freed and being liberated, Um, those sustain us. We're people of the story, and there's power in story, so that's one place. Um, For us at the council we have surrounded ourselves with an extraordinary group of partner organizations that are secular, they're not faith-based for the most part, whose expertise and commitment are inspiring to us, and whose um, ability to to help us think through next steps and regrouping, and now what do we do? Uh, We couldn't be as effective as we are without them, and we're grateful for them every day. Groups like Maine Equal Justice, for example, um, extraordinary group that uh, Environmental Priorities Coalition is another that there is uh inspiration and sustaining um, a feeling that you get from being connected to those. Uh,
0: well, n- knowing that it's it's not just you; it's it's uh, there's a there's a broad uh, broad group. Mike, is there a particular time that on uh, an issue in Maine uh, or uh, an issue on uh, unions that was uh, just felt like things were just awful? and, And how do you rebound?
2: Yeah, I think I, again, I, I like Jane. I, I would go back to the uh, to Governor LePage administration when he wanted to cut off all uh, all, su- all uh, local support for uh, 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 asylee applicants, and uh, th- these are people when they come to the country, they're prohibited from working, and so they're they're not allowed to work uh, by federal law. By the way, federal law prohibits them from working. And so we thought that they might get um, uh, food and shelter uh, from uh, local general assistance, And we had to go up against the LePage administration time after time after time. Um, and uh, it just seemed like um, it was just an incredible amount of energy and time uh, that, that we spent on that. Um, and it just seemed like it just seemed so obvious. That, that the, you know, the, the, that the, we, we had the resources. And these, if these people stayed in Maine, if we gave them some welcome, they were highly educated, they were highly trained, they were going to be uh, contributing back to our society in a very, very short period of time. Uh, and we just were completely tone deaf and, and very uh, short sighted in, so. in, in, in the state approach to that. So, what
0: was there? Is there something that you that you do? Is it is it is it praying? Is it is it reading something that really for either of you that that um, when the darkness comes? I mean, I there's one um, uh, sermon part of a sermon from uh, Martin Luther King that I probably. Uh, I don't know how many times I've gone to it, it's, but it's it, uh, it helps me uh, move, move ahead, even though I, I know that people are still dying over the issues that I'm dealing with. To I either of it's, you.
1: It's no coincidence that you lift up Reverend Dr. King, um, because for me, um, the, the saga, the trauma The 450 years that our black brothers and sisters have suffered and fought and not lost hope, Um, the same would be true for the LGBTQ community. I happen to be cisgender and straight. And I look at folks who are pushed to the margins, who suffer trauma I can't even begin to imagine, and they don't give up. How dare I give up? You know, little white girl that has had every privilege thrown in her lap. How dare I give up? If they don't, I won't. Um and uh, I find great strength from the black church tradition, um, in particular, but but even secular uh stories from that struggle that sustain me and give me hope and light a fire under me when maybe I'm feeling sorry for myself.
0: And is it is it sometimes just getting together with with friends who care about these things and having
1: yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, Jesus loved a party and loved a good meal. And there's a reason because he too was speaking truth to power, you know, look and look where it got him. Um, and he needed that kind of sustenance and that joy and that rejuvenation as much as anybody who's human. Oh,
0: thank you for that. I'm going to remember what you just said. Uh, Mike, uh, what do uh, what, uh, what do you go to? I mean, sometimes for me, it's music, it's friends, it's,
2: it's, uh, it's reading. No. I mean, I would, I would ditto, I would ditto everything both of you have said, uh, as far as, uh, uh, you know, the, lo- looking back at the history of, uh, of African Americans or the LGBTQ community. I mean, again, as somebody that's, you know, white, male and straight, I've, I've had a pretty, pretty uh, privileged life. Um, and uh, so I uh, can't relate to what people have experienced, but I can certainly learn from their history. Um, I, I would add to that as uh, you know, as when as as in the priesthood, and I've continued with this the um, the what we call the liturgy of the hours, where we pray five times uh, a day, uh, and it's basically it's based on on the Book of Psalms. And I just find so many of the Psalms they cover every conceivable human emotion unapologetically. And, um, I just think, uh, you know, uh, I've always said in, in Catholicism, we've never known how to deal with certain expressions of certain emotions and feelings because they're good or bad, or as the psalmists could care less, they just, they just put it all out there and they were inspired by God to do so. Uh, and so that, um, uh, the psalms have just are just a a really great source of comfort encouragement support motivation for, for thank me. you and thank you Mike and Jane I'm seeing you nodding your head
1: yes the psalms are extraordinary and i would add the book of job which might be a, kind of a weird thing to say but um, the end of the book of job where um Job finally cracks and says, why me? You know, why am I suffering? Why is this happening? And God comes out of the whirlwind and says, you know, like, hold the phone, sir. Who are you? And who am I? And let's get clear about a few things. And it's just so raw and so authentic. And it puts everything back in perspective. And, you know, I, I also don't think it's a coincidence. Both Mike and I are, are naming Hebrew scripture because that's another population, another community that has suffered for millennia and doesn't give up and doesn't back down and doesn't go away. And, and they're part of our sacred texts. Um, as a Presbyterian, I actually, it's the only Protestant denomination that requires you to learn to read Hebrew. Hardest thing I ever did, but I'm glad I did because it gave me an even deeper appreciation for those texts, the prophets um, and the Psalms, as Mike said, s- real source of strength.
0: Thank you. So I, th- that leads to uh, this conversation into uh, to each of you have um, a short piece from the bible or from some other text that is particularly important to you and uh, and we are down to uh, just a few minutes but uh jane
1: um i would say um Micah 6.8, I like things simple. I'm, I'm, I need things simple. So what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love, kindness, and walk with humility with your God? Um, you know, you could spend a lifetime trying to figure out how to do those three things. And then Jesus, quoting Leviticus, um, was asked, you know, okay, simplify it. What's, what's, what do we really need to pay attention to? And he said two things, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. All the rest of the prophets and the law hang on those two things, um, and those are those are touchstones for me. But I, I'm fascinated to see what Mike says.
0: <laughs> Mike, you're
2: on the spot now.
1: Okay, uh, you know I um, and just, you I
2: just and you think. quote from one of the Psalms. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Well. Yeah, one of, one of the Psalms that's in the Liturgy of the Hours, and I'll just read some of the verses as it's written. It's, in this one, it's numbered as 85. I will hear what the Lord God has to say, a voice that speaks of peace. Peace for his people and his friends, and those who turn to God in their hearts. Mercy and faithfulness have met, justice and peace have embraced. Faithfulness shall spring from the earth, and justice look down from heaven the Lord will make us prosper, and our earth shall yield its fruit. Justice shall march before him, peace shall follow his steps.
0: Thank you both for 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 what you read and um uh, and I think it must um, give a lot of solace both to to you but also when you are when uh, jane you preach and mike when you were preach, preaching preaching uh, to be able to share this with our congregation um yeah and, and you know the, the work uh, the work you do is is really hard work uh we're coming up to the to the end of this, uh, time flies quite, uh, quite fast. Uh, you have been listening to Change Agents, Conversations with Human Rights and Social Justice Advocates on WERU Radio at 89.9 on the FM dial. Uh, and streaming on the World Wide Web. My guests have been Jane Field and Mike C.V. Jane is a minister in the Southern Maine congregation and the executive director of the Maine Council of Churches. Mike C.V. spent 35 years as a Catholic priest in Maine. He has recently left the priesthood and is working on social justice issues at a nonprofit organization. He has joined the board of the Council of Churches. Thank you both for just a wonderful conversation.